Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Christ. When John the Baptist heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, happy Gaudete Sunday, y'all. That This is your little, your 50 cent church word for the day. Gaudete Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent when we light that pink candle. And it comes from uh, the, one of the Latin words for rejoice that traditionally has been in one of the readings for this Sunday. So the whole theme of Gaudete Sunday is about rejoicing and joy. Um, confusingly, there's another pink Sunday in Lent, also named for joy, but it's a different Latin word. So Laudete Sunday, not Gaudete Sunday, rolls around in Lent. So we heard all about the desert exploding into blossom in our reading from Isaiah today. When I was preparing for this sermon, I was just looking around at news and other similar phenomena, and I found out about something called, you may have heard of this. Have you heard of a super bloom? There's this uh, ecological phenomenon uh, that happens every once in a while. Uh, California is one of the places known for it. And a California super bloom usually rolls around maybe once every 10 years or so. So things have to be just right for a super bloom to happen. Now, we actually have had more than 10 years without one. Then we had a super bloom in California in 2017 and another one this year. So it's been a good decade for super blooms. One of these, these happen when all these seeds that have been laying dormant under the soil in dry, rocky parts of Southern California that typically don't have a whole lot of vegetation get just the right amount of rain in autumn. And then temperature has to be just right as well. So there has to be enough rain that they get soaked down to the soil but then the temperature has to be not so cold that it freezes during autumn and as autumn warms into spring. But neither can it get hot enough so that the dry desert heat bakes those seeds under the ground. And so if the rain is just right, enough to soak the soil but not wash away the seeds, and if the cloud cover is just right so that nothing freezes but nothing bakes, and if the wind is just right so that these shoots, when they begin to come out of the ground, don't get blown away, you can get this riotous explosion of color and 
many different species of wildflowers bursting out in what is normally a desert in Southern California. They say this year's superbloom was visible from outer space. So you can look at the satellite imagery, and the hills of Southern California are all different colors now than what they would normally be. They say this year as well, there was just sometimes the skies were black with painted lady butterflies. And this really speaks to this whole idea that all of that was there. It was already there in this seemingly dead terrain, but it took the right conditions to bring it out. This amazing explosion of blossom and color. A similar thing can happen in desert regions uh, on a more regular basis when the rainy season comes. If the rainy season hits the desert in the right way, you can get explosions of unexpected uh, bursts of wildflowers and colors from what look like pretty lifeless deserts, including in the desert of Israel. Uh, The Negev, a dry region in the south part of Israel, is famous for this. Uh, People travel the world to go see the wildflowers in the Negev during the, the May and April season. Now, in California, the super bloom is largely composed of Uh, Among other things, wild mustard and uh, poppies are the big one. And in the Negev, in Israel, um, you get anemones, buttercups, chamomile, wild mustard, again, actually. It's it's an invasive species in California. I think it belongs in Israel. And crocuses, which we hear about in our reading from Isaiah today. On a smaller and uh, kind of more ordinary, perhaps less pyrotechnic level, we get this sort of explosion of life out of seeming uh, dormancy every year uh, as winter passes on into spring, only Austin just doesn't cooperate with that metaphor. We are pretty much uh, evergreen here. Um, At least we got kind of a gloomy sky going on, so that will pass. But we get this kind of sense that there's something dormant waiting under the earth that's just waiting for the right conditions to come out. And then when it does, it just makes you feel good to see it. Uh, It just feels like the whole earth is rejoicing with you. We get the same imagery then in Isaiah 35. Now, this passage is probably part of um, what's called Second Isaiah, an exilic prophet who's comforting the people and telling them they're going to go back to the Holy Land. It anticipates their return. And when they do, the prophet says, the earth itself will experience joy alongside them. It says, the wilderness and dry land will be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The joy, or at least the way that the earth expresses its joy at this return, is already there, theoretically, right? It's in the ground. It's in this desert place. Although it, it's dormant. It doesn't have what it needs to come out and, and explode across the earth. It's dormant until just the right conditions come forth. And what we hear is that those conditions that bring forth the earth's joy will be the coming of God. It's sort of the theme of this uh, passage from Isaiah. The coming of God is mentioned twice. It's something that the earth itself will see. So the, the hills and the desert themselves shall see the glory of the Lord the majesty of our God. And it is at that seeing of, earth, of God's coming that they explode in color and water and blossom. The same thing is going to happen with God's people. These exiles waiting to come home, God says to them, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble needs. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, 
Be strong. Do not fear. God is getting ready. When God comes and God brings them into this new reality that they're going to experience, God is going to make sure that they can get there and that they can really feel it in their bones that something new is happening in their lives. He's going to strengthen what is weak and make firm what is shaky so that they can rejoice and sing and dance and make this long journey. The fearful heart we hear about, in the Hebrew, this uh, actually is more like a a pacing, a racing heart, a quickly beating heart. And, you know, there's all sorts of conditions, uh, emotional states of being that bring us to a state of being where our heart is racing, aren't there? You can, this could be a good thing. If something exciting is coming, your heart beats and races. But also, if you're, if you're anxious or fearful, your heart races and pounds. And the fact that God is going to prepare his people for this journey uh, and to rejoice alongside the earth with all these sort of physical strength, that, you know, helping them physically, I think speaks to how embodied our experience of life really is. You know, sometimes we like to think that we're sort of a mind floating on a balloon up somewhere above our bodies. But the truth of it is, we're actually down here. I'm, here I am within this body, experiencing my emotions and a little bit of hunger, and maybe I didn't sleep enough last night, and whatever is going on around us, that plays into how we feel. And God knows that. God says to those who are of a quickly racing heart, Be strong, do not fear. God strengthens weak knees and gives them firmness and the ability to rejoice as they go home. We hear further about these people as they come back. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. It's as if the poetry of the prophet here almost can't doesn't want to draw a firm line between the rejoicing of the earth and the rejoicing of the people as they go home because they're going to be leaping like the deer that will surround them as they go back. This passage, this exact passage, verses 5 through 6 of today's reading, is Jesus' response to John the Baptist's disciples. When John the Baptist sends disciples to say to Jesus what is essentially an Advent question. Are, Are you the one? that we are supposed to expect, or shall we wait for another? That is an Advent question. Is Jesus the one who is coming? And Jesus answers with this verse. He says, Tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus is telling them that what they see and hear, this transformation that is going on around the people that he is coming into contact with, is what will show forth that something new is happening and Jesus is the one they are waiting. This transformation, as God comes among the people, the people are made strong and firm and joy pours out of them. Sometimes in our own lives, I think, uh, at least I can speak for myself, we feel dry or lifeless. We feel a little low, as if the needle is a little closer to the E than to the F side of the tank. For my own part, I'm 
it's no secret that I make of it. Uh, I have, you know, issues with anxiety and depression in my background. And when you are in the throes of bad depression, and it's not just me, this is a thing that they say about the condition, it can seem to a depressed person that they've never actually truly been happy in their whole life. They look back even on happy memories and it can look illusory as if it wasn't even real and like as if they may never be happy again. This is just a common part of it. And it's so, depression is such a commonly found thing that it's kind of called the common cold of uh, mental health. It's just all over the place. Anxiety, too, has real physiological characteristics with it. Depression does. It can make you feel pain in your body, actual pain up and down your spine or elsewhere. Anxiety uh, has physical ramifications, too, where your heart can race, as we heard about before. You can feel uh, sort of dizzy or thrumming in your ears. All of this speaks to God's intended transformation of the whole person. As God prepares the people to rejoice, he knows that they have to be strong enough to rejoice. They have to be well enough to get to the Holy Land. And that as they move across the desert, the earth rejoices with them, and it too becomes its healthiest, best, most whole self. When we feel a little low, a little sad, when we feel anxious, or perhaps, as some of us have in the winter, we experience seasonal affective disorder, where some people just feel low physically when the sun refuses to shine. Some people, if you've ever lived in a, near one of the poles, you may have experienced this when the sun really doesn't shine uh, one season of the year for just a few hours of the day, get this extremely, we realize that what we need, the transformation we need to feel like our best selves again is our whole bodies, mind, soul, and body together. And God has promised to bring us to wholeness and transformation, all of us. What we need to flourish, this is the, what we hear in this metaphor of Isaiah's, what we need to thrive and be our best selves, even though when we are dry, or lifeless, we may not be able to, to think this at first. What we need is, in fact, within us, waiting for God's rain to fall upon us to blossom. Just like that desert land whose seeds are dormant in the soil, God wants to bring what is already within us to its best expression. Paul uses the same metaphor in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says that our transformed resurrection lives will be kind of like our old lives, but in much the same way that a seed has some relationship to the final plant, and yet it's going to be wholly new. There'll be continuity, and there'll be something new. God's coming transforms us. God's coming transforms us for a purpose, too, so that we can rejoice with God. We can leap like a deer. We can sing like those strangely singing crocuses we hear about in the prophet. God's coming transforms the whole world as well so that it too can rejoice in its own way in its myriad voices. As Israel passed through the desert, returning from exile into a new life in the land, the desert was transformed around them and both rejoiced together, people and land together. Israel, at that moment in its history, was an Advent people because God had come with them. We, too, 
are an Advent people. And so as we travel through Advent, knowing that God is with us and God's will is to transform us and show joy in our lives, how will we transform the world around us as well? So that it too, today in its myriad voices, praises God and shows forth that Jesus is indeed the one coming into the world. Amen. Please stand and join me in stating the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, Father, the Almighty, Almighty, maker maker of of heaven heaven and earth, earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God. The prayers of the people will be guided by Form 2. I ask your prayers for God's people throughout the world. For our presiding bishop, Michael, our diocesan bishops, Andy, Kay, Hector, and Jeff. For our priests, Justin and Andrew. For local Christian communities, especially Northwest Hills, United Methodist Church, Grace Point Austin Church, and Christ Episcopal Church of Bastrop. For this gathering and for all ministers and people. Pray for the church. 